well, I was trying to figure out what the hell is all the hype about. So I went on my Spotify and I was listening to like some of her songs. I was like, Antihero's a little bit of a jam. Sip and Chat Cafe. Welcome to Sip and Chat Cafe, a safe space for stimulating conversations. No topic is off limits. If it matters to you, it matters to us. I'm your host, Atara G, and our producer, Motel Maurice. For information about this podcast and more, please visit motelmaurice.com. Our guest today is a globally renowned, award-winning chameleon actress, known also to many as the Bohemian Butterfly. Welcome, Ricky Yvette. Westmoreland. Ricky. Ricky. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I love the Bohemian blood butterfly. It creates such vivid imagery in my mind when I say that. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here. Thank glad you. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I want to get right into um, some of what I learned about you. And um, as I was reading about you, I read something that your aunt said to you. She said, you've always been different, and I just want you to know it's okay. Mm, Which yes. I imagine is something an aunt would say. My aunt would say things like that to me. But I want to know why, what she meant by you're different, and um, why did she feel like she needed to tell you it was okay? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, that aunt actually told me that pretty recently. Um, and that was a shout out to my aunt Lisa. That was my aunt Lisa. She gave me a special phone call and she just kind of wanted to reach out. She was reading some scripture and whatnot. And she saw some scriptures she felt that related to me. And um, it had to do with um, Cain and Abel and the a pastoral nomad um, that Abel was and things like that. So she was just telling me basically how the differences what and, and what they did, you know, in agriculture versus one being a more pastoral nomad. And she's like telling me I've always been different um, in the family um, and a little more nomadic. The, you know, she was kind of uh, clarifying that that's okay. And then she was just, you know, and, you know, letting me know that, you know, growing up, um, since I was little, I'd always been kind of different and considered the strange kid in the family. Um, and I was, I was always very otherworldly. Um, and I can explain that at some point for those who don't know what that might mean, but, um, just basically being a different kid. Um, and she was telling me it's okay to be different. And um, she was backing that up with the, the story of Abel being, a, you know, he's a different kind of shepherd. And so she was just saying, you know, it's okay. And um, yeah, I was, I was kind of a strange kid compared to the other kids. I, I admit it and I'm not ashamed of it. And <laughs> it led to where I am today. But, um, but yeah, it had to do with being otherworldly and, and, some pretty interesting things. Um, as a toddler, my mom would find me up in the middle of the night when everybody was asleep and throughout the house, not peeping, and the day was calm and quiet. I was up in the middle of the night, sitting in the dark, maybe with a baby doll, 
off in my imagination. I spent a lot of time alone. I still spend a lot of time alone, actually, but I would be off in my imagination, traveling in other worlds, being different characters. Um, and it was, you know, I didn't know what it was called then, but I, I would say it was an early form of escapism from some things in my environment. Um, it's not that I had, I mean, we, we had what we had. That was the 70s, right? And so, um, but being a kid who liked to escape into other worlds in my imagination, um, that didn't happen a lot in the day. You know, we lived kind of in the projects. And so, you know, that was my time at night. My sister even said, you used to creep me out. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, you know, I was a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. Are you still, so it sounds like you were a night person, even from a young age. Mm -hmm. Are you still a night person? I am definitely still a night owl. Um, when I would stay up, this, see, this is back in the day when TV used to go off, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I would stay up as late as I could before television went off. And, you know, there were shows, this is Midwest, um, small town Midwest girl from Ohio. Um, so... Um, the shows that we watched over there, I'm, I'm not sure how far they came across the U.S., but, but the Night Owl Theater was a big one. And then, of course, everybody knew about like Twilight Zone and things like that. But they would show the the most otherworldly movies. Um, so otherworldly meaning other planets, other dimensions, other realms, other beings, you know, creatures and all kinds of things. You could be fairies, fantasy. Mm -hmm. I, I was really attracted to like anything of sci-fi nature, otherworldly, other planetary kind of things. So, or, or uh, plots with these grand twists, like Twilight Zone kind of things, Night Gallery, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, Night right? Gallery. <laughs> You're really, yeah. yeah, this is resonating with me because yes. I love sci-fi too. Mm -hmm. And growing up, my brother and I read a lot. We had a TV, but it didn't get, it, what, PP at PBS and, you know, Kung Fu Theater was pretty much all we watched. <laughs> so we read a lot mm -hmm. and we were always off in our imaginations too. But you mentioned escapism. Mm -hmm. And I think to this day as an adult, I like science fiction because it allows me to escape like reality and mm -hmm. think about something else yes yeah. yes yes escapism um now a lot of people i see people online who tend to talk about um it, it treating talking about it as a negative thing i really don't think that it's negative um i think <clears throat> when it comes to i think it's a it's a human need um a need to escape and to um explore different things. And it's, it's a great opportunity to explore your imagination. I just think it's, you know, everything that we do, you know, we can learn to cultivate uh, a discipline with it and a mindful approach with it and being conscious about our choices that we make there. So the escapism, of course, you know, as a kid, I didn't know I was doing it all the time. I still do it. I, I spend tons of time alone me and myself and I and my other characters. <laughs> I can't wait to meet them. But um, but yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's a healthy thing to have an outlet once in a while. It's just how you discipline yourself, you know. I mean, I think if we have all these things in life that are tools, you have exercise, yes. you have escapism, mm -hmm. you have healthy eating. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of these things are basically 
coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. they're neutral. Mm-hmm. It's how we choose to use them. Exactly. You know, so you can abuse escapism. You can abuse healthy eating. You can abuse exercise. Yes. So, yeah. I, That's a great example. I read an article where a lady actually starved to death from being extremely, she was vegan, but it was to the extreme to where she starved to death. So, oh, it was yeah. an Instagram. I think I read that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I didn't verify it, but still. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> you know? I didn't verify it either, but I did see that same post. But yeah. You know, I, I mean, I do. <clears throat> I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, everything requiring. Every, everything yeah. in moderation. Yes. You know, yeah. <laughs> and in discipline. I think moderation and discipline are kind of two different things sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so. I want to talk a little bit about your hardships and how you've used this otherworldly side of yourself to kind of overcome your hardships. So I know you were in foster care for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? Um, yes, I was actually in foster care. Now, I want to make sure I, I uh, preface this, you know, because people tend to hear foster care and they automatically think, well, what was going on with your parents? You know, <laughs> so I'm like, wait, back it up. <laughs> you know, um, my my mom, you know, was a single mom and she struggled a lot. And so, you know, six children. And so, um, you know, we had, there were a lot of things going on. I'm, I'm not saying we had the healthiest relationship when I was young. It's just that she did her best. And so I just want to make sure I'm looking out for my mama there, you know, um, I know she 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 did her best with what she could, and there was even a time where, um, before foster care, where she had to send my brother and I to stay, you know, uh, in Detroit with some other relatives while she was trying to get on her feet. So you know, there are a lot of different dynamics there, um, and I'll just keep it at that, you know. And then respecting my mama's privacy, yes. I'm saying. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, with the foster care, um, when I ended up in that, um, I did end up in custody with my grandmother, and. Um, I was in about seven foster homes total. It was um it was a very um it was a very I, I'll say colorful experience. There were hardship um and things that you know with some of the, the care that I had. Um, because again, this goes back to being that strange little girl that I had always been when I would end up in a foster home people did not understand that little child. They didn't understand me and why was I the way I was, you know, like very different. And so they would take it uh, as, uh, you know, I was, I was a problem child. You know, I was very quiet, shy. I didn't really do much of anything. But they would take it, well, this child won't open up. They won't talk to me. Go to the next home. And so that's why I got in, you know, went from home to home sometimes because they were wanting something out of me that I I didn't really get or understand. I'm just, you know, doing my thing, <laughs> you know. So, um, but it was it was eventful. I I do appreciate the experiences we did have. Um, you know, they had activities with the foster children. You know, going hiking. Well, not hiking. Going to farms and hay rides and things like that. Square dancing. <laughs> we, you know, we did we did a lot. It was it, there were some fun times through that, but. Um, but ultimately, um, it also gave me the experience of having um, gone through 
different schools because where I when I lived, I you know I went to different schools as well. So I got to know a lot of people. It's like since I was little, I've moved around a lot, and now I still do that to this day. <laughs> but getting to know a lot of people along the way, it was it was it had its ups and downs. It mm-hmm. makes me think of um, I'm kind of connecting what you're saying with the chameleon your use of the word chameleon actress because mm-hmm. I we moved around a lot too mm-hmm. and I had my brother and I had a very small stint yeah. in foster care very very short mm-hmm. um, but when you're moving around a lot and you're always ha- in a situation to have to develop new relationships and start over mm-hmm. you almost a way to deal with that is to become a chameleon mm-hmm. you know you go into mm-hmm. the situation as a chameleon, become what you need to so that you can assess the situation mm-hmm. if it's like okay to be yourself or not. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I 100% agree. Yes, and you're right. And, you know, um, and I also use the word nomadic too, you know, because I do, you know, I have moved around a lot since, you know, since I was young. But um, yeah, it's, um, I, you know, I look back on that and, you know, one part of that I'm grateful because when I encounter other children or other people who have or who might be going through that same thing or going through care, I can reach, I'm at a place where I can relate to that mm-hmm. because by way of experiencing it for myself, not to say that's the same, but I definitely, definitely can have um, an understanding or, or, or some form or level of empathy for talking or being an outlet, a shoulder, an ear, or whatever they might need in that moment. So um, when it comes to young children, I'm, I'm very advocate, I'm a pro-advocate for, for children because, you know, when you, especially when you're different, you're misunderstood, and the world could be so harsh, you know, and um, I don't, a lot of people run away from their story or their experiences, and I'm I'm an advocate for embracing your experience, um, and that goes, you know, eventually we'll talk, but it goes into the kind of psychology that I like to embrace, you know, but the whole, the more holistic perspective on anything, because um, you are a whole person, you're, you know, a lot of Western medicine tends to, medicine tends to compartmentalize everything, even in psychology, it's analyzed, psychoanalyze this and that, parts and parts, but Essentially, you only really know, get to know who you are or start to even get an idea of yourself by really looking at the things, the good, the bad, the ugly, because it's shaping you. You know, it's like, that's why I like the butterfly, cocoon, Mm -hmm. the butterfly, that cocoon, in that cocoon. It's pure destruction. It's ugly, <laughs> Mama. It's, it's literally digesting itself. Yeah. It's it's horrible. But you nobody says, oh, we just gonna go to the butterfly escape, you know, and we understand the cocoon is necessary from caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly. We understand that. So that's uh, why I like that metaphor. But that being said, yeah, um the with the foster care experiences, I I like that in anything that I've been through, being able to relate to people who might need somebody to understand or to even validate their experience if I can or something like that, you know. Well, just going back to the butterfly metaphor, it's almost like being in that cocoon is our hardships, Mm -hmm. right? And then we come out of it having learned something and now 
we can be a butterfly. Exactly. You know, so it's it's almost like saying you get to be a butterfly by going through your hardships because everybody goes through your hardships, but you can only get to be that butterfly. It's like you accept what those hardships are, mm-hmm. accept what they're bringing to you, learn something from them if you can, and then go on and, exactly. and, and become a butterfly. Exactly. You have to fully surrender to that whole process in order to be whatever the bomb diggity butterfly you about to be. <laughs> I would be a monarch. Huh? I think I would be a monarch. A monarch? Yeah, oh, yeah. Those yeah. strong colors and just those big just wings. Big, right, yeah. yeah. I think I would be a monarch. I love it. I love it. You're a beautiful monarch, my love. <laughs> so you evolved from your hardships. Because Basically. look at you today. You're truly a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mama. <laughs> what are some of the things that you brought with you on this journey as you, as you as you learn to survive and cope with your hardships? I've always enjoyed that kind of hero's journey through the, the stories that I watched, you know, the big victory kind of thing. And so um, with that being said, I really loved, I've always loved the idea of personal growth, self-growth, evolving, evolution. I've always been attracted to that. Um, and so I i like to be around environments or people or spaces where I am growing and expanding. I love the idea of expansion and becoming better and being better. You know, and it's a, it's a lifetime thing. I don't think we're ever not learning. You know, some people think they know it all and it's like, bruh. <laughs> You about to learn stuff, <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, from all of the the hardships I've experienced, I've been able to pull out, I, and and that's the thing. I'm not ashamed of my story at all. Some people have trouble sharing parts of their story, and I encourage them if you can find a place in yourself to sit with that, identify with that, and it's not going to be it's not going to be easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It. I mean, we we're, we could be damaged for 50 years and people, you, you're not going to change overnight. It's going to take some time um, or, you know, to heal, recover, get better um, or to just embrace it and find your empowerment in that. But um, with the, the hardships, I've been able to find aspects of myself. I've been able to find levels to my resilience, levels to my strength, levels to who I am superpowers I didn't know I had <laughs> you know it's so rewarding yeah like the one thing that I really appreciate about the things that, that I've had to overcome is being able to get through it and say I got through that mm-hmm. and um the, it's the resilience and then knowing that I can get through the next thing again mm-hmm. you know like it's that's absolutely that's so rewarding to me to yeah. just overcome Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and it's, that's the story of the ancestors. I'm saying, yeah. you know, what I'm saying <laughs> to not Which, be yeah. beaten back by it is like its own award. Like mm-hmm. bring it on, because I'm, I'm, you know, no, not really bring it on, but like <laughs> if it's gonna come, I'm ready for it. Yeah, yeah, you got you, you understand the <laughs> yeah. hero's journey. Yeah, for sure. That's why you know the storytelling is awesome with that. But um, but yeah. So I also learned that you were um, you suffered with suicidal depression. And you were institutionalized four separate times for that. Yes. When did that begin? Um, well, my my um, major depression started as a child. Um, of, again, of over years of 
when you're that kind of odd kid and you're constantly misunderstood, misunderstood, you know, my self-esteem was kind of just done. It was shot. And so um, I ended up developing depression and it does run in my family as well, but I developed major depression and I was clinically diagnosed as a, a teenager. And um, I had, um, you know, got to the point where I convinced myself, you know, in my in my mind space and what I believed in myself is that I didn't feel that I was worth anything that I was significant to anybody's life. I felt that people would be better off without me. And so those things festered inside of me, um, feeling like I was, I didn't want to be a burden on people. So, um, I did get, I had some counseling, um, when I was a teenager for that, but I did have a suicide attempt, um, um, when I was a teenager as well, that particular time, um, the suicide attempt, I did in, end up in the uh, mental hospital, you know, because they do like a preventative thing to make sure that you're not going to harm yourself again. So um, that was an interesting experience because there were other children there for other things. Um, and the stories are pretty rough, you know, that I encountered. And it gave me another look at just how many children out there are really struggling and severely damaged with a lot of things. And um, so that, the, you know, that experience there, you know, I was institutionalized a couple of times as a teenager, um, you know, one, because the thoughts were there. And then the other time, because I actually made an attempt and I was in the hospital, that particular attempt, you know, I was just IV'd and whatnot. And, you know, I spent some time there. I don't remember how long, but until they felt it was okay for me to go home both times and, and um, I went back to, you know, went back home, which I was still with my mother at the time. And then um, the, I had other, um, the, the two other times I was institutionalized for my suicidal depression was as an adult. And the, I had a suicide attempt on my life as a young adult. I was in my twenties and I had t taken an overdose. And that particular time, I did have my stomach pumped and I ended up in the, you know, in the hospital, the institution as well, again, for a suicide watch awareness and, you know, when they watch it and things like that. Another time I, I administered it myself because I, you know, I had some time had gone by, I was getting counseling, people coming to the house and things like that to check on me. But the, the last time I had experienced the hospital, it was more like self admit it because mm. I was feeling like I might do something. And so, um, that was the last time I was institutionalized before I went on another journey after counseling and all these different things. When I started to tell myself, I don't like this medicine and I, and I, I changed that whole dynamic and stopped and mm -hmm. I've been self therapy ever since but you know we can get to that <laughs> I want to jump back to the last time you were um you went into the hospital mm -hmm. how you took yourself there mm -hmm. um and just say kudos to you for doing that because you that's growth yeah. when you when you've attempted you know 
a couple times before and then you recognize you're getting back to that same place mm-hmm. and then you find the courage to seek out help you know like that's real growth thank you yeah. thank you so that's awesome <laughs> that you did that for yourself thank you i appreciate that yeah i um and actually at that time in my 20s i did have my 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 children um and those thoughts people think well you had children i i had you know my one of the attempts that that I had I convinced myself that they were better off without me that I was like pointless like you know they do so much better with somebody else you know those are the things that go through your mind and that's when you people are people don't understand how beautiful you are I didn't know and when I started to learn you know we're so complex and layered and we have beautiful stories, you know, to share. So, yeah. Um, My sister always yeah. says something. She says, um, I'm like an onion. I have many layers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's really simple, but, exactly. you know, it really sums it up, mm-hmm. the human condition really exactly. well. You exactly. Know, you've got the skin. You've got the that first layer of onion you always want to peel off and throw mm-hmm. away. Then you have all the other layers you know, between there and then you get to the core, yeah. you know, which is this tiny little thing that sometimes exactly. can be the sweetest part of the onion. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And as I learned about these things that you went through, um, you know, homelessness, the attempted suicide, sexual ha- harassment, rape, neglect, you know, attempted kidnapping, it just feels like to me, people have seen you as a person who was to them seemed vulnerable and, you know, tried to attack you in a mm-hmm. certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. But then you, it's clear you've survived each one of them, mm. you know, and come through. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, each, each particular time, you know, you, you when you look at your story and the, your experiences um, now, I'm not, I, I think people need to be careful. You know, I've heard people say things like, you create your reality. And so if you're manifesting this and, and they, there's a, I get it, but there's not always, it's not always done mindfully in a way. It's like, it sounds like it's victim blaming, as, you know, the way some people come at it. But for myself personally, I look, I, I have looked at that, you know, and taking accountability and responsibility on uh, my own growth. And it's like, when I look back on these experiences, I was all, all of those experiences, I was in a vulnerable, a very vulnerable position. Of course, when you're a child, you're vulnerable. But as an adult, I was always in a vulnerable state and overly trusting people. And so over time, it's not that it was I was a bad person for it, but over time I learned that my lessons were to learn to increase my boundaries, to set boundaries, and to be more discerning of people. So there were lessons I had to learn out of that as well. And so, you know, on the flip side, I, you know, that that's kind of part of that. But, you know, I, I, you know, I think that if you look at your story honestly and embrace things where they are, um, and careful not to victim blame, but like, you know, okay, this happened, it was wrong, it was horrible. Now, what can I learn from this? What can I do moving forward? How can this empower me? 
even if it hurts, like I would go through my growth process when I'm sitting with my story and certain elements of things that I've gone through, my alone time, I'll sp I spend a lot of time in nature. So I love talking to trees. Girl, <laughs> give me some trees. <laughs> but um, me, trees, plants, flowers, that's that's my sacred space. That's where I commune with God. And But I, I check in with you know nature when I commune with God. And a lots of alone time. But in those moments... Um, I go through it. I allow all my catharsis. Um, if I'm screaming, crying, yelling, whatever needs to happen, I'm allowing that process because when you're in these moments, when you're real time in moments and you're allowing them, the revelations are coming versus when you're, when you suppress those things and you, you know, I'll, I'll deal with that later. If in those moments, sometimes are the most profound revelations that come with your growth, your lessons, your life, you know, learning even your discernment and everything. I, I feel these things are, I, I believe in having high emotional intelligence and cultivating that because it's vital to how you navigate the world and being emotionally disciplined and learning, you know, it's, it's, has to do with your discernment. It has to do with your manifestation and all these things. But yeah, it's um, you know, I appreciate what you you know what you said. But you know, I had to learn a lot of things about how to make myself better. Yeah, I mean, sometimes <laughs> those hardships we experience those hardships because they have lessons to teach us. And boundary setting um, is a way of protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to go through a hardship to learn that we need to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I also think, you know, as adults, we can be, it's not just children, children are inherently vulnerable, yeah. but I think oh, yeah. adults can be vulnerable too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you find yourself in a vulnerable situation as an adult, it's not necessarily it's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's something that needs to be worked on, mm -hmm. but it's not like, oh, shame on you for being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes it's something that happens to us. Mm -hmm. How we deal with it is our choice, mm -hmm. but it's not always something, what's happening to us is not always something that we create. Mm -hmm. you, you know, when you say that, this this is the thing, when it, um, when it comes to, that's, you know, I love mentioning discernment. A lot of us are like, we, we, we know our intuition, but that discernment is everything. But, you know, as a vulnerable, being in vulnerable positions in so many different times in my life and learning to recognize, okay, being discerning, you learn vulnerability is beautiful. Transparency is beautiful. You learn how to be discerning with who gets access to that. Exactly. And that's when, like, that's where it is. Yeah, that, that's where the power is. Mm -hmm. You don't. Not everybody needs to have all of you mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Access. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's difficult when you have to like cut off that access to people who have had it all this time. But then you've got to learn to set boundaries, mm -hmm. and it may be with people who are accustomed to. Mm -hmm. I, I've had to learn that lesson. That's why it's on my mind. I'm learning it. You know, going through something right now where I'm learning it. Yeah. Relearning it again, like remember the boundaries, Atara. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like it's like 
people think, oh, you worked on that, you should be good. It's like, no, it's, no. A, it's a daily, yeah, it's a day it's work. Yeah. It's a work in progress. You're working on it every day. Yeah. You, it's a lifestyle. You have to, you know. Yeah. But yeah, uh, one You're thing, right. It is a lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. But one thing, um, uh, well, one thing about one of my experience, I went through a very, very abusive, extremely abusive relationship in my young, um, young adult life. And um, I mean, black eyes, beaten, just really, really bad. And um, again, my self-esteem was done. But um, I remember one of the incidents, I was drugged down the stairs and drugged out by my hair, spit on, stumped on. And I remember when I got stumped on, um, the next day, sometimes we get our most profound moments in the mirror as well as what I wanted to point out. The next day, it, you know, in my mind, I was just like, it was my norm because I didn't really see my value. But that next day, I looked in the mirror and I saw, I mean, I was used to seeing the black eyes, which was horrible. You know, I normalized mm -hmm. that. But I saw something new and it just hit me different. And it was a, it was a bruise in my forehead of the shoe print from being stumped in the head. The shoe print, uh, you know, the shape of the shoe underneath the sole was bruised into my forehead, that pattern. And that's when it hit me different. And I was just like, what am I doing? You know? Yeah, it hit me so different. And then from that, uh, from that um, <clears throat> relationship, I ended up, you know, going to a safe house and, and getting away from that and everything. But, but yeah, the moments come, they're profound. They are profound. And it's like, I'm not going to not tell that part of my story. Because someone you else know. has experienced it, mm -hmm. but needs to hear it from someone else. Yeah. Because we're not alone in everything that we right, go through. Right, right. Oftentimes we feel like it. And when we can talk with each other about our experiences, mm -hmm. we can remember that we're not alone. You yes. know, and it kind of takes some of the shame away. Yes. Too, you know, to know that someone that you admire, that you respect, has gone through something that maybe you're very ashamed about, and they've come out on the other side and mm -hmm. have found a way to make themselves whole again with having gone through this experience, mm -hmm. you know, with accepting the experience, mm -hmm. they are still whole. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to get into something. Um, you mentioned you took yourself off the medicine mm -hmm. during your depression. Um, and then I want to go, I want to talk about how once you took yourself off the of medicine, how did you begin to treat yourself? Because you also mentioned you've been medicine free and, and you pretty much have healed yourself, which, pe which human beings are capable of doing. So I want to talk about how you've done that. Okay. So <clears throat> I will say this. Healed with an ED, I, when it comes to clinic, I'm very careful about when it comes to clinical depression because, you know, it, it, it is something, I don't know people, I, I wouldn't assume that everybody can be cured from that. It's a medical thing for a lot mm -hmm. of people. So... I will say this, am I healed from my depression, like where it's gone? No, it's not gone. <laughs> it's that lifestyle thing, right? Right. I 
I like the last time you know I told you when I put I I took myself to the hospital. I have learned to recognize when it's when I might be struggling and it's time to you know I'm I'm always practicing certain things to maintain, but I, I've learned to recognize when I might need to do a little bit more or okay why am I feeling this way to stop and pause and mm-hmm. and take a little more care into something or check in with myself. Self-inquiry is a big one for me. That's uh, one of my spiritual practices. But um, but when I- mm-hmm. Self-inquiry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, self-inquiry. Um, that's uh, I'll get, but, but so when it came to getting off of my meds, I was uh, in my 20s um, and they had me on all kinds of- antidepressants. They were trying different things. I was even on um, psychotic medicines. There's another dynamic in the medical field when it comes to black women. And I will point this out. Sometimes, a lot of times uh, we tend to be, or black people in general in the black community historically, because of historical reasons, there has been a lot of misdiagnoses and things like that um, that have taken place. I had actually been misdiagnosed with schizophrenia and mm. and they had me on some crazy psychotic type stuff, which, you know, and then, you know, seeing some other counselors after they're like, no, you know, this is not what your problem is. So it was like, you're, you're like a guinea pig, you know, and it's like all of these different things they were putting in my body. It felt like poison and I felt foggy and I'm like, where am I in this? I'm like, you know, I that little girl in there who used to spend that alone time. It was always in my center. That's when it was me, and I was looking for me, and so that kind of pushed me into that questioning phase on my own. We didn't. This was before we really had the regular access to internet and cell phones to do the research. So I was tapping into a lot of just my own intuition and discernment because I remembered that little girl who used to always be that was whenever I had trouble in the world I would always come back to me and so I went back to me tapped into that and I started to think about like what I had learned they say okay it's a chemical you're lacking serotonin in the brain what helps your serotonin sunshine so I started thinking what am I what am I doing the more depressed I was, the more I was making my environment worse because I was withdrawing more and more and I was in a dark room more and more. And those things were impacting me. So mind, body, spirit, looking at it holistically, I started taking a more holistic approach. I got myself more sunshine. I'm not saying that, again, not recommending that it's going for everybody, but it did make some differences with me I started to notice changes and then I started thinking about the colors I don't know this was all intuition and the colors I was around and I just started noticing like this color is making me feel this way that way and I then the caffeine I noticed I would have these horrible depressive crashes the the therapy the the therapists that had spoken to weren't asking me about my environment how had my day been what did I eat what was I surrounded by? Where was I living? What kind of clothes? You know, anything, everything, anything that can impact your overall well-being. It was just mostly like, you know, compartmentalized questions about this, that, or the other. But one of the things that really scared me to really pull back was I 
I have um, I have experienced um, a few episodes of they call disassociation, disassociative amnesia, and um, I had when I have when I went through big bouts of stress, my I would disassociate. To this day, I, there was like periods of time I do not remember. They're gone. <laughs> they are bluggedy black gone, and so that scared the crap out of me. Um, I was working at a job and. I must have dissociated an employer. The boss at the time, she was ticked off at me because I was doing commemorative letters for people whose children passed away at the hospital. So we were doing the correspondence commemoration. She put me in her office. She was upset. She was like, what is this? She was so mad about letters I had been sending out. I had no recollection. I looked at the letters. I It was my signature, and it was just gibberish. And I was like... I had no recollection at all. And so that's another thing that pushed me like, I got to I gotta get myself, what's going on? And that intuition, I checked in with my, my creator source and, and then that's when I, you know, I started changing things. My colors, the, I noticed I was always sensitive. I, I, one of the things too, as a child, I was, I've always been sensitive. Allergies, bubble girl, they used to call me bubble girl. <laughs> <laughs> Because not just sensitive with allergies, but sensitive to sensations, energies, um, environments, and very environmentally sensitive. So I, you know, when people got bad stuff, and so I move the world a certain way. That's why I was the way I was a kid. So I was a sensitive child, very energetically sensitive. So that was another thing, and I started paying attention to these sensitivities. And I'm like, this smell makes me feel awful versus this smell and I just over time I was like the medicine feels like poison because it's foreign mm -hmm. my body doesn't like foreign things and so when I started to s s change out the medicine and implement more of the things that I was my body seemed to like and respond to sight smell sound environment people all of that even though I moved a little weird I noticed I was getting better. And so that's kind of, and it was a gradual thing. And I just kept working with it over the years. And to this day, you know, I, I've, I've got, I've learned a lot more. I've gotten a lot stronger with it. And so um, I just have that more holistic approach. Checking in with me. I think you said <laughs> um, something that I find very important is intuition. Yes. I think, I think that's something humanity has oppressed in themselves or are pushed down is their intuition. And I think I started uh, tapping into my intuition in my 20s mm. because I was just not able to figure things out. So, and it's scary to listen to yourself when you doubt yourself and have never listened to yourself before and are always looking for an outside source to help you make decisions. But... um yeah, it's very important. I think intuition is so important. And I'm glad that you listened to what your body was telling you because that's your intuition too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think, I'm, you know, I'm a lucky case in that because, again, I, I, there are people out there that probably do need some kind of um, – therapy, medicine, or something like that. Everybody's case is different, mm -hmm. which I, you know, I like psychology. Some people do, you know, when it comes to even like, say you're dealing with psychopaths or narcissists, there, there is a spectrum 
So everybody's not the same, but even with those cases, I think that their therapy still could benefit from a more holistic view, looking at through a holistic lens, you know, with every other dynamics in their life. It's like a recipe, right? Like how we take care of ourselves is a recipe. Mm -hmm. And I think some people will use more Western medicine. Some people will use less Western medicine. More people will use more natural foods. Mm -hmm. Some people at the situation that they're in need more medicine and less natural foods. So I think it's about getting the right recipe. And that's how intuition plays a role. It's helping you figure out the right recipe to help yourself of the things that that are available. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to get into... Ricky's World Butterfly Theratainment. Yes, mama. <laughs> I love the word theratainment. I'm Thank excited you. to learn Thank more you. about that. <laughs> yes, let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> what people don't realize is that our ancestors were revolutionaries. So if you have Haitian blood running through your veins, you too have the DNA of revolutionaries. The revolution will not be televised, but it will be streaming. You just heard a snippet of the six-part docuseries, Audacity of Host, which explores the Haitian-American experience of Motown Maurice. You don't want to miss it. Audacity of Host is streaming now on Tubi. For more information, visit MotownMaurice.com. And we're back. <laughs> I'm excited. Let me say it again. I'm excited to get into Ricky's World Butterfly Theratainment. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> so tell me about this. I understand it's a you know you it's a platform you're creating, and it includes many characters coming to life and kind of an immersive experience. Yeah. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. Um, so I'll, I'll start with this. I'm still in kind of the process of defining the actual platform, but for the most part, yes, it's a platform, an empire I'm building, um, where I have tapped into the things that I learned as a little girl, that escapism and pulling from those stories, but all grown up and in a way that, um, from learning as a child, I learned that these stories have actually been part of my therapy. And that's hence why I use the word entertainment. But as far as Ricky's world, butterfly entertainment, yes, it's, uh, my platform where I have, um, Ricky's world essentially is my concept of a world that's in the fifth dimension, um, just beyond the veil of our 3D reality, (laughs) darling. (laughs) And in this fifth dimension, it's um, where I get to explore all of the things I love from like child, which is like, you know, in the fifth dimension, it's... um, metaphysics and quantum physics and holistic psychology and personal growth, but everything, the whole framework of Ricky's world itself as the world is a, um, 
it's in the it's like a 5d reality but it's um it's all framed by the laws of metamorphosis hence ricky's world butterfly their attainment so butterfly meaning that the whole platform everything that i do relates to some form of evo evolution for our humanity for people individually or collectively it also um, the movement of a butterfly because my platform i also look at that being um, a little bit more nomadic you know butterfly is like a nomad of the skies right it travels and flits from flower to flower i really enjoy that and so the platform i'm prepping to travel with elements of that spreading the character and the their attainment which is the actual style of entertainment that i do which the characters i draw from my own life my own story and real world events i use fictional characters that dive into real world relatable issues share elements of my life story and they all of their journeys are transformative in which they influence personal growth or you know and in, in some kind of immersive experience now i do have a couple of characters that I'm performing soon of from that platform. There's 12, but the immersive experience is being like where I'm engaging with the audience and the story that's unfolding based on that character. It's relating to the audience in a certain way. So they're feeling like they're getting an experience and growing from that experience at the same time. So yes, 12 characters that I turn into essentially personal growth experiences for people who are watching for their self-growth journey. <laughs> so is each character an experience, like does each character embody an experience you have or do they embody a type of growth? Okay. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a culmination of all of that. Um, like for each, when it comes to personal growth, um, I believe that there are a lot of different facets to that mind, body, spirit. Um, and then you have your real world experiences, your humans, humanistic experiences, your cultural experiences. They're the backstories, I create very complex backstories of the characters. I'm just really big on like a synthesis of things. I pull like a lot of things together in one thing. <laughs> I think what I'm understanding is like you have this character and because they have an extensive backstory, mm -hmm. like er people can relate to the character's backstory. Mm -hmm. Hence, that's how the growth can happen for them. Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. okay. You essentially get that with when you're watching movies. You know, when you watch a movie and you really, really feel connected to a character, you're like walking through that character's journey with them in that movie, in that yeah. story. Um, I, rather than having a, a film I or a book, essentially, I, I self-author my characters so that they're very complex to give that similar experience to creating a very visceral experience. Um, and so whatever that journey is, it's going to be, and if it's live, it's definitely sometimes real time in the moment. If there's something to be pulled from the audience in that moment, 
I use it. It's more that's more of an improv kind of thing. But if it's something that is pre-filmed or whatever, I connect with experiences that are I try to touch on current or or just realistic humanistic kind of uh, struggles, the human struggle and things like that to where people can kind of feel that visceral experience. But it's more like their stories are unfolding, but while the the experience is taking place, I really want to, I, I, my aim is making it more viscerally experienced by the audience, the audience. you know. I think I've experienced what you're talking about mm -hmm. when I watched the movie The Joker. Yes. Because it really went in yes. to his backstory mm -hmm. and how he, I mean, I just empathize with him so much. The abuse mm -hmm. that he experienced throughout his life, mm -hmm. hence he became the Joker. Like, yes. how can you not, right. uh, after seeing that, how can you not understand mm -hmm. who the Joker is and how he came to be? Exactly. You know, yeah. and it, well, I did experience that with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is. Yeah, because the thing is, when you walk, my thing is, in life in general, and that's the whole thing about, you know, therapy and wanting to blend that with entertainment. I believe uh, it's a, nature, a, a natural law, if you will. It's built into our, our you know, the, the universe is built into nature that we can intellectualize and learn so many things, but you don't really know it until you experience it. So if you can put that into your stories and help people experience things, you can humanize a lot better. You can help people kind of cultivate some sense of empathy they might not have. They're less judgmental. And it's just kind of pulling back out some of the things we suppress from our humanity and pulling that back up to the surface in these stories and experiences so we can, you know, it's cultivating that. You know, it's so. really something we need right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, as you know, I'm sure you know all the different things that are happening um, in the world right now, yes. in the different countries, uh, in Africa, Middle East. Um, what you're saying to me, what you're creating, this Ricky's World Butterfly Therotainment, it just sounds like to me that's something that's really, really needed to help us come back to ourselves, to help us come back to our humanity, which I feel like we've lost. Our community, I mean, the pandemic didn't help. We lost our community. We probably lost some of our humanity in that too. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying is really resonating with me because mm -hmm. it's we need as much of this as we can. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah we need I agree. as much of I agree. it as we can. And, and that's why I advocate any artist out there that's... Mm, doing anything to build towards the improvement or the evolution or the expansion of just our human nature for the future, by the way, um, and not as some people are setting some old kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a futurology advocate. That's another story. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, getting moving away from so much superficial content, I think as everything's happened, like you said, you know, when we look at health times and things have transitioned. One of the things I think that we need in the world, you know, collectively I'll say, but I don't want to assume that I know everything, but just by my mere observation and experiences and things that I've intuited and discerned, 
on the calling that I have on me is cultivating that sense of community. Even with Hollywood, I'm looking at all the things happening. One of my things before the pro before the the strike happened, I was thinking about you know, I want to utilize Ricky's world to cultivate a more communal Hollywood. And when I'm traveling around with my characters, working with independent artists that are, you know, that are in other places that are kind of pushed out or felt left out. There's so much, there's the, cultivating more of a sense of community um, where we have been really pulled from each other. Um, and because I think moving into the future we're moving into, that sense of human community is it's going to it's going to seem in opposition but i it's going to be necessary for the digital platform that we're going to be that we already are navigating with ai and whatnot since that's such a separatist kind of um there's a lot of narcissistic things being pushed culturally right now and the saving grace is going to be our sense of retapping into that community in order to be able to manage the tech and the modern advancement and everything in a conscious way. That makes sense. Yes. Uh, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm at the bit. Because Motown and I are in the process of getting ready to invest in virtual reality. Mm-hmm. What are they? Virtual VR headsets. VR headsets. Yes. And one of my, I'm already a loner. Mm-hmm. And one of my concerns is, and I've already watched these movies. Ready Player One. Ready Player One, where yeah. everybody is just in a headset all yeah. day yeah. by themselves in a headset. Yeah. And the only place they're connecting with someone is in this headset. Mm-hmm. The person could be right next to them. <laughs> yeah. But they're connecting with this person through a headset. <laughs> right. I'm like, this is bizarre. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to the, the, get this VR headset, have the experience. But I'm very wary of not getting caught up in being that being the only place where I connect with other people, mm-hmm. where I have community. Yeah. That is a community, but it's not community. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's the three of us sitting around this table doing this podcast is community. Yeah. You know, yeah. us doing this podcast in a VR headset is not community to me. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the, as the age moves on to, um, as, as we move into an age that seems to lead less of our humanity is the time where we need our humanity the most. Yes. We need to have a recall to those things, to community. We need to begin to, we don't, we need to need those things again. I think less and less of us are realizing that we need those things. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it sounds like your characters are going to remind us that we need those things. Well, and that's another thing too. Ricky's world being the world itself, being in the fifth dimension, uh, I like to bring the most opposite uh, of opposites together. These are part of the world. And then the stories are, are humanistic, but then in a world that is making you confront this future and like, what does that look like? What is a regular old person or not even that, not that they're all regular, but you know, somebody who has very normal human kind of behavior, 
what 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 does this mean for us in this world we're moving into? What does it mean at this level? What does it mean for older generations? What does it mean when um, I don't know? I I'm dealing with depression, and then you got this going on. What does it mean with just normal everyday things? There's so you know? many things. Like when you talk about the older generation, as we move into the future, they mm-hmm. get left behind. Mm-hmm. That's a whole whole other class of people that's being left behind just because we're moving into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, you know, kudos to my mama, mama. Okay. So kudos <laughs> to my mama because she taught, I talked to her not like maybe a month or so ago. And she was like, I'm taking these computer classes. She's trying to get ahead. You know, yes. she's trying. She's like, I know I got to learn. And I'm like, yes, mama, you know, <laughs> cause she wasn't really into all that, you know, but she's trying, but yeah, I, I believe Now, I will be covering some of that actually in my performances coming up because the thing is, we're in times of transition. A lot of people want to address where we're headed, which I I think is great. Um, Michio Kaku is one of my favorite theoretical physicists, and I'm just saying he does that, and I'm like, yes. But at the same time, um, some people kind of set in their way and don't want to, and they just fear everything. But in times of transition, people address one or the other, and I'm trying to find and address where we meet in between. So again, your holistic approach to things. Yes. (laughs) I like it. I like it. So there's an aspect of Ricky's world, which I'm really interested in also, which is the butterfly nectar. Yes. That sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, it is exquisite. <laughs> it's the best of the best, darling. <laughs> so, yes, I call it butterfly nectar as a metaphor, basically. To everything that we already have, essentially, in life, we get to nuggets of wisdom. Um, we get anything that we get that adds to any kind of wisdom or advice or insight or experiences that we get that adds to our growth and expansion in our human form. Um, Well, the butterfly nectar is a metaphor of that being we're butterfly, we're, you know, cocooning, becoming butterflies, everything being framed around metamorphosis. Well, the nectar is when you're a butterfly, you're taking butterflies drink nectar. Mm -hmm. So, Hey, butterfly, you're flying around. Take a sip of this nectar. Oh, um, be the change you want to see. Oh, that's the good nectar right there. Sip, sip. So it's just, it's a metaphor. Whenever I see or hear good nectar or want to share some good nectar, um, it's, it's butterfly food. <laughs> so we could liken it to like knowledge, Yes. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Knowledge, experiences, anything that's, anything that's, Related to helping growing, us, growing. yeah, yeah, helping yeah. us evolve. Yeah, butterfly nectar sounds much more enticing than knowledge, though. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, right. Well, it depends on the person. Some people are very stoic. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, let me tell you the tea. I rather oh, like, let me have some of that nectar. <laughs> there is a one more element, uh, which is a part of everything I do because uh, you know, I've, uh, I mean, obviously, you hear that I'm into future things. I'm into quantum physics, metaphysics. I actually. Um, I didn't graduate college, but when I was in college in Florida, I know it doesn't make sense. I was a 4.0 GPA student. I know, like, why didn't you? Anyway. (laughs) It's the learning that counts. Okay. But, yeah. It's the learning. It's part of me is, like, I, I always, I wanted more. And I just, at the time, I didn't feel like I was being offered 
there wasn't anything I was interested in further. But now the colleges are offering like quantum physics and meta. I'm like, whoa, I know. whoa, whoa, whoa. You got it now? So I'm like, well, no, let me take a look and see. But, but that being said, um, those things are all integrated into the world and also my spirituality, which is extremely vital. I'm extremely spiritual in my approach to everything. And so it's at the root of everything, you know, when it comes to the growth and all of that. A lot of people don't know that I was actually, I went on a spiritual journey, a spiritual path, and I was actually initiated to be a monk of the school of neo-humanism. So I'm still in touch with my teacher from that. So that's kind of, that's the kind of alone I like to be sometimes like the the little monk, little Ricky monk. <laughs> so yeah, but that's a part of that. <laughs> Is one of your characters a monk? No. At, well, I'm the host essentially, so elements of that come through me, but I don't have a specific like a monk character, no. Most of my characters really relate to black American experiences and women too, because that's what I know the most. So that a lot of those messages come through there. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of your characters. Yes, that. Do you have um Elder Miss Ruthie? Can you tell me a little bit about her? Oh, I sure can. So Elder Miss Ruthie is, um, she came from the thought of my ancestors. Like I have a, a great, my great grandma, when I remember when I was like 13 and she was still around. And then after she passed years go by, I realized I had a wealth of stories at my you know, that I could have had access to that I didn't realize and I didn't take advantage of, you know. So Elder Ms. Ruthie is a reflection of kind of something like that. She's a bridge between keeping our fresh stories and our ancestral lineage and legacy from the past. But she's always, she's got her own little thing about her because she was a freedom fighter. So mm. she she is she's a little more open-minded than some elder folk tend to be um, but she's she's very strong christian woman because a lot of people from our my community black american have had a strong christian faith so she represents a lot of my lineage as well as um you know an open like a bridge to remembering where we came from but being open to share her stories and open to, um, you know, what we're, where we're headed. So if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's interesting. Yeah. Elder, uh, Miss Ruthie, the name sounds like she would be. Yeah. And a she's 110 player. years old. Um, so yeah. Oh, really quick. Um, Jim, Jim, sorry about that. Um, my aunt that we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. also, Auntie Lisa. Yeah. My aunt Lisa, she also mentioned, she sent me something, blew my mind actually moved me to tears and it was from the movie oh oh the movie slipped my mind the name of the movie slipped my mind sorry aunt lisa but she sent me a clip she wants me to perform a snippet of that for her but it was cicely tyson um in a classic from back in like what the 70s and um she said it's one of her favorite movies and she's Cicely Tyson is playing an elder who's 110 years old is sitting there talking to a tree. And I was like, how did, how did I miss this? <laughs> I'm 
I'm like, is something's in here remembers? I'm like, wow. So it's just, I thought, I thought that was profound that Elder Miss Ruthie is 110. Because it's just, that movie had never crossed my mind. So, yeah. But she was also talking to a tree. And we yeah, know that and trees that's me. Have this, yeah, trees have this underground network. Yeah. always in communication with yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I just thought that was profound. So, yeah. Yeah, Elder Miss Ruthie's 110. She's, you know, she loves telling stories, you know. Well, I would love to have um, Elder Miss Ruthie tell me a story. Oh, okay. Um, well, let's see. It's, I don't know what she is. Elder Miss Ruthie, Elder. Oh. Hey, Queen. Uh, would you mind, would you mind uh, telling a story, just a little something real quick. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Okay. She, she's going to be right here. Oh, hello there. Hi, Miss Ruthie. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, I'm good. Well, my name is Elder Miss Ruthie, and uh, I'm 110 years old. Oh, my and, and I love to tell stories about my black lineage, heritage, and my legacy. What's your name, sweetheart? My name is Atara. Katara. That's a beautiful name. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Well, you want to tell a story. I suppose I could tell you a little about Harold and I. Harold was my ex-husband. Oh, we used to work in the field together. Oh, he was amazing. He was a good man. And, well, I remember the time when he got this little flower he found for me over on the side of the shack. And he had to sneak it to me because the plantation owner, you know, we weren't allowed to talk to each other. Yeah. But he got that flower to me, and that was his way to let me know he wanted to court me. Yeah. So uh, I got the flower, and I put it in my hair. And ever since that day, I had a thing for them little pink flowers. Harold, though, he had to hurry away because, you know, the mister was coming. But, yeah, he used to do little things like that for me when we was in the field. And, oh, there was another time he gave me some beautiful little rose thing. I don't even know how he found that one. But it was good. It was good. Uh, yeah. I don't know what you wanted to hear, but, yeah. Harold sounds like he's amazing. He was a good man, yeah. 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 Well, I, oh, you know, I, I actually heard there was a lady I come across one day. Oh, she was a firecracker. Oh, she was magnificent. Her name they, they called it Josephine. She was a good woman, I say. You know, and uh, 
It was some time after I had my stroke, you know. I had a stroke and, you know, all this interesting stuff started happening to me. But yeah, she uh, reminded me when I was a freedom fighter. Uh, yeah. I don't know what else you want to know. Cause Were you and Josephine friends? Yeah, well, um, a little bit. She was a little bit faster for me. Uh, you know, I, I'm a Christian woman, and she did little things, but I appreciate the work she did. They called her a revolutionary woman. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate her. I did, and she did a lot of things for Oh, she was starting her own revolution, you ain't know. Yeah. I'd love to hear from Miss Josephine about her revolution. Oh. How can I find her? Well, oh, well, I think she always looking around somewhere. I don't know. You know, I sometimes I don't know what to do with her. But Let's uh, ask Ricky. I think Ricky can probably help us find Miss Josephine. Probably. Oh, oh, well, I'll let you get on back. And uh, I really, you got such a pretty name. I appreciate talking to you. Elder Ruthie, thank you so much for coming by yeah, today. Oh, it really warmed my, warmed my heart to sit with you. Yes, God bless you, baby. If I find Josephine, I'll let her know you said hello. Oh, uh, maybe. I, not today, though. She okay. Will. Yeah, oh, <laughs> all right. I don't know. <laughs> that was great. I don't think uh, I don't think Elder Ruthie likes Miss Josephine too much. <laughs> Josephine be a, she could be a handful. Josephine could be a handful. <laughs> Josephine, yeah. Uh -huh. Josephine was my great grandmother's name. Oh really? Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I named one of the characters in the screenplay we wrote together mm. after my great grandmother, Josephine Foster. We called her Other Mommy. Oh, oh. yeah, because at the time this is my mother's grandmother. So at the time they were all growing up in the house together, my grandmother, my great grandmother, and all the kids. And so they would the kids would say, Mommy, and then my grandmother would answer, but they really meant Josephine. So they would go, No, other mommy. And so other mommy just Oh <laughs> Other Mommy. That's beautiful. I that love was it. an amazing performance. The voice, like uh, literally you transformed into her. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I um usually there's a lot more preparation for her and it's a, it's a little more complex but but in the moment thank you <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> and harold and that, bringing the flowers to the leaving the flower for her in secret so that mm. she knew that little i guess like secret messages with flowers mm -hmm. right yeah 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 so yeah. tell us about your other character miss josephine brown uh, okay. Oh, Josephine Brown. So Josephine Brown is basically a black um, revolutionary. She is um, also connected to my lineage. Um, she represents, she was a civil rights um, advocate, uh, activist, and then, you know, with the whole dynamic with, uh, you know, Dr. King and the civil rights movement, passing and ending there was still you know a lot going on so she became a black 
Panther Party uh, revolutionary. And then Black Panther Party was infiltrated and slowly dissolved, went down. And so she, Josephine's story, the fiction part comes in when she, she's had an ability to see things a little deeper than most, especially dark things in the nature of the black American experience. And so she started her own revolution, but then she had some tragedy that happened and somehow she ended up in the future. So she's straight up out of 1972, black revolutionary who in the future in 2023. Um, which is what I talk about in my performance coming up as well. She's basically tragedy struck and she woke up in the future. But, you know, she was she was always a little different. Yeah. But she's she's fiery. <laughs> Can you give us a little snippet of her? A little snippet of Josephine. Josephine. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> How you doing, sugar? I'm doing fine. So my name is Josephine Brown. Mm. They say when I'm in town, everything going down. How you doing, baby? What you want to know about me? I want to know how you're adjusting to 2023. 2023. Well, one thing I got a problem with is how folk don't seem to appreciate people like me. You know, they, they got this thing they've been doing where... I seen this show and they was showing people dressed like me, dressed like my people, dressed like my culture. And they was acting like we was bucking and cooning, bucking and cooning and making a show. I ain't no damn show. I ain't no damn mockery be made of. When we was in my time, we had swag. We had good swag. We had a way about us. We had a rhythm in the way we moved. We had a way that we glided through the sidewalk, through the streets. We had a way that we talked. We had a cadence about us. We had the thing and the sauce. We had the revolution. We had the spirit, the tenacity, the revolution, the bones, the spirit, the blood, and everything in us. And then I see people bringing us on screen on these TV shows talking about, ooh, I'm a sucker this and sucker that, making fun. Who the hell you making fun of? That came from some blood, sweat, and tears. That came from some strong stuff y'all don't know nothing about. Y'all know that you got it in your blood, in your body, in your bones, baby. You don't know what you got in you. You don't know that your ancestors is bleeding through your mind and your body and your spirit. And when I come in the room, I'm bringing it all to you, baby. I'm gonna remind you who you are, who you is, who you be, who you ain't gonna be, who you trying to be, and who you gonna love. And you gonna learn not to make fun of who you, who you are and where you came from. I seen another thing on this thing they call TikTok. Some lady talking about, I ain't my ancestors. I ain't my, what the fuck you mean I ain't my ancestors? Do you know where you come from? You understand where you come from, right? We come from revolution. It's in the blood. You know where the fuck you come from? Can you tell me? I do, but you're scaring me. I'm scaring you. Good. Because <laughs> that's where we coming from. 
all that power. And the thing is, we are people of love. We got a whole lot of love in our community. We tap into it all the time. We got this telepathy, this psychic thing about us. You see a, a whole group of white folk and you look down the street and you see a Negro standing down the block. You're going to notice the Negro and you're going to notice him and you're going to acknowledge each other. Why? You're going to acknowledge each other because you know something about something. You know that you ain't quite safe in your environment. That anything go down, you're going to be the scapegoat. We got like a magical power about us and we don't even realize it. You know that feeling I'm talking about. Yeah, when you come in the room. Now I hear you talking about this lady. They said, Elder Ruthie, I, you know, I ain't stood her. That's my queen. That's my queen. You know, she scared of me and everything. She said, I'm a firecracker. I'm a little bit of something, a little bit of something. As in, like we used to do. All we wanted was all power to all the people, baby. Power to the people is what we said. I, I ain't going to say it loud because I might blow out this mic, but <laughs> I might blow out the mic. But the thing is, well, Elder, she used to be a freedom fighter. I think she forgot a little bit of her roots because, you know, they was loud and proud, too. You know how to say power, for the, power to the people? Power to the people, baby. Power to the people. Power to the baby, a little bit louder. I can't hear you. Power to the people. Power to the people. Say it from the gut. Power, Power to the people. Power to the people. Power to the there people. You go, baby. That's how you say sugar. Woo. <laughs> Ricky. <laughs> Again, my my I usually do a lot more preparation. This is like Oh, well, that was awesome. Oh my gosh. You know, I I can feel that on my skin. <laughs> I can feel it on my skin. I appreciate it. <laughs> that was powerful. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, but usually, yeah, with my preparation process, um, those are really both of those characters are really strong emotional characters mm -hmm. to do. So to just switch them on like that, to watch you just switch them on like that was crazy. <laughs> I appreciate and it. Then, and then Josephine, like, I felt like I was getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, she, she she starts trouble with people. She, um, yeah, she's a troublemaker. She's kind of a troublemaker a little bit, a little something, something. But, yeah, um, usually that's, an, uh, that's, that's the thing, though. Um, and, again, this was kind of off the cuff. Um, and I... I will, as a, as a creative, I will be careful not to be too critical because... I did not follow my typical process, which is a lot more time consuming. However, I'm glad that I shared, you know, elements of them. As far as my process, it's very usually a conscious process, very, very conscious process because again, with my spirituality, and I think as far as being in the acting industry overall, um, the tapping into characters and into other personalities is, it can be risque um, when it comes to actors. And so that's why you see some actors who have a lot of trouble pulling out of mm -hmm. the characters they really immerse themselves into. Um, when I immerse myself into a character, it really is a very, very involved process. When I really do, I'll spend most of the day really diving into it and being able to tap into elements that are so deep to the point where 
it, it is hard to pull away from it at some point. Um, and so there's a very conscious process that I take pertaining to my spirituality and self-inquiry. When I'm coming out of a character, after I've actually done my official diving in uh, process, coming out of it, I go through self-inquiry and spiritual cleansing and chakra cleansing and things like that, that, you know, I think are very, very important <laughs> uh, because it's, you know, I mean, and I, I don't know, I don't want to throw words out there, but when you're tapping into things, essentially you're opening yourself to a lot. You're opening Channeling gateways. Is, yes, yeah, you're yes. opening gateways. But also I think I can appreciate how much work you put into bringing these characters forth because it's, it's you're doing their entertainment. You're mm -hmm. providing a sense of therapy for people mm -hmm. and so these characters need to be authentic and real mm -hmm. if you want people to experience mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. you know viscerally yeah yeah there now their experiences actually i did i have an actual full monologue of elder ruthie on my youtube channel uh it's a it's about 11 minute long 11 minutes long it's actual monologue of her talking to her late husband harold um and talking about how she came to get into telling stories and she kind of found her purpose. She was struggling with not having a purpose. Like, I don't, I don't know honestly what to do. I don't know where to find myself in this world, you know, and that's how a lot of older people are feeling. I don't know where to find myself in this world, Harold, is what she's getting, tapping into. And then she talks about how she met a lady at the library who uh, she shared a story with and the lady invited her to share stories with children at, 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 you know, the library and that gave her life and you can see her joy coming in. So that whole process and that monologue is one of those experiences and it's very in your face kind of thing. And so I do have that of actually going deep into her character and sharing one of her experiences from missing her late husband, still having faith in God and her Christianity and feeling like, you know, she mentions this is a world, you know, Harold, this world is full of, you know, it's got AI and quantum physics and that thing they call, you know, she, and then she's saying, honestly, I don't know where to find my place in the world. She's emotional. She's vulnerable. A lot of black older women are not shown as vulnerable. She's vulnerable and emotional, but she's, still centered in who she is. She misses her husband. She's alone. This experience that encounter she has gives her some new purpose in that monologue. And so at the end, the monologue ends with a knock on the door. It doesn't show anybody, but you can hear it. And she's like, oh, the children, they must be here. She's happy. And she's getting ready to tell stories. And then you hear the door open and she's like, well, hello there, you know? Mm -hmm. So she finds something that's the whole point of that that monologue that's on uh youtube right now what's your youtube so, channel it's called um what's it called <laughs> so it's uh it's ricky's world but you can type in my full name as well ricky yvette westmoreland um r-i-k-i yeah r-i-k-i ricky yvette westmoreland and so and then i have a teaser that's coming up that, that's a teaser for elder ruthie is actually introducing josephine it's a teaser and then I have not posted Josephine's monologue yet, but that one's going to be more of when she's after she first wakes up, you know, and she's with these strange men and 
it's pretty, it's going to be pretty gritty. And she's, it's like more interrogation style, but it's, um, that one I have to still post it to, to perform and do, but it's, the script's done. It's just, I gotta, you know, getting Get in the character yeah. is going to be, but yeah, it's, um, and it's going to give a real deep look into that character as well. So I like to create, I call the, the, on my YouTube channel, I call them monosodes, like monologue episodes. Oh, okay. Cause it's like, it's like a little cinematic <laughs> monologue. It's like, the Ruthie, Elder Ruthie's monologue, it starts with panning from the picture of her and her husband and it pans to her face and then the monologue is delivered. So it's just a series of monologues I want to do to introduce each each of the characters. Yeah. Check me out anywhere online. I'm Ricky Yvette Westmoreland or, or Ricky's World. and uh, or On Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, Facebook. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Okay. Yeah. Instagram. All the big names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the big yeah. names. Yeah. All the big names. Well, Ricky, thank you so much for joining us today. This is so interactive and exciting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I um I have enjoyed this experience. I appreciate you inviting me. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. It's a beautiful show, beautiful program. It's chill, which is <laughs> like speaks to my Midwest side. So I appreciate that too. Yeah, I do like things chill, yeah. probably too chill sometimes for hometown, but I am but, chill. Yeah. But thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored and I'm grateful. Thank you. So folks, there you have it. Ricky Westmoreland for Ricky's World Butterfly Veritainment. <laughs> so hit that subscribe button so you never have to miss a single episode of Sip and Chat Cafe.